Well, this evening, if you would, uh, turn with me to a, perhaps one of the most famous stories in all of history, not just even biblical history, but even history, David and Goliath, First uh, Samuel chapter 17. And I want us to look at that together. It's a longer chapter, so we're going to read a little and then kind of look at things and uh, kind of try to keep it in perspective, go back and forth with the scriptures on it. But First Samuel 17, now the Philistines had gathered their armies together to battle. And they were gathered at Sukkoth, which belongeth to Judah, and encamped between Sukkoth and Azekah in Ephesdamon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on one mountain on one side of Israel, and Israel on the mountain on the other side, with a valley in between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze weaver, uh, pardon me, a bronze helmet and, uh, on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, and he had bronze armor on his legs and bronze javelin between his shoulders. And the staff of his weaver's beam was like, uh, or his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the iron spear weighed, weighed 600 shekels, and the shield bearer went before him. Then he stood and he cried out to the armies of Israel. He said unto them, Why have you come out and set up your battle? Am I not a Philistine? You servants of Saul, choose out a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and to kill me, we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you will be our servants. The Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel today. Give me a man, and they, that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed, greatly afraid. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we know, of course, it's, it's history. That it always is. And well, but the reason it's in your word is far more than just history. It's it's a lesson for us. You've sent all these before, Lord, to prepare us, to, to mentor us, to teach us, to equip us, Lord, that we could be able to look at the lives of those that have gone before us that have lived and trusted in you. And Lord, learn from the lessons within their life on how they grew and how they triumphed. And Lord, we have our battles just as real uh, and as threatening as any in history. And, Lord, we thank you in the midst of it. You give us your word, and your Holy Spirit always wants to lift something out of the pages and write it on the tablet of our heart and send us home in victory. That's what we ask that you would do tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, it's interesting. You look at history, and, and even the secular world, the unbelieving world, is always kind of looked at uh, when there's this great contrast. <laughs> you know, on one side of a ring, you might say, and a fighter on the other side. If they're ever looking at a huge contrast, whether it's in, you know, the athletic world, it's in the business world, you know, or something, when there's just some little guy there who's, you know, got a patent on some little thing and Microsoft or some big tech company takes it away and on how this little guy comes up and he goes and he sues, you know, the huge giant corporation. And so often even the business leaders will say, if ever there was a David and Goliath battle, here it is. So when this little guy out of his garage comes out and thinks he's going to take on, you know, the, these huge corporations. Or, you know, and whenever even the secular world, looking at contrast, 
looking at challenges, looking at when somebody is stepping up and they're taking something on way beyond themselves. So often it'll always kind of refer to David and Goliath. And uh, it kind of sits there in history as a great lesson. And there's something there that uh, in that thing of contrast that there is, we, we, we seem to like contrast. I remember growing up and watching, there was a thing called ABC's Wide World of Sports. And it always started off with the same sort of a thing. They'd have this, you know, somebody there that it was called the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And there was some, you know, going off and somebody just won something and they're just absolutely, you know, and over the top excited, thrilled, expressing this, they just the thrill of the victory. And then there's this downhill skier flying down and he loses control of his skis, goes off the side. You think he gets killed. He actually lived through it. But boy, it was one of the most <laughs> sad things you look at. That. And every, you watch this every time you just see this guy get beat up every Sunday afternoon again there. But it was, and he was the agony of defeat. But there's something about this thing that, 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 that contrast, but the ultimate contrast really always goes back to the actual David and Goliath himself. For here we have a young boy who comes out and his father has sent him out there to go check on a battle. The, the Israel is in a battle with the Philistines. The, Israel, the Philistines have invaded Israel and they've got to go you know, fight him and drive him out. And so they've gone out to meet him, but the battle seemingly has gone on. No word has come back. And David, his father, uh, you know, sent David. He says, take some cheeses, get to the captains there of the, uh, the army and check on your brothers and find out how the battle's going. What in the world's going on out there? And so David, this little kid, very young, you know, there, uh, he has seven older brothers. Three older brothers are actually, you know, battle ready. They're, they're soldiers. Four of them aren't mentioned, which would suggest that David was significantly too young uh, himself to at all be in the military. But David shows up there, and, and there the, the whole story of David and Goliath kind of unfolds. And, uh, and here when David, as he comes along, just sent on a little errand, totally unprepared in one sense for this, and yet incredibly prepared in another sense. So many times we have things that come across us and we, we feel entirely unprepared. And yet God looks at us and he says, no, you're more prepared than you think. And that's what's happening here. Because here we have David, he shows up. And when he gets there, finds out that the armies are both just on two different sides, you know, with a, a, two hills with a valley in between them. They're going down in the midst of it. And, uh, and, and here, one army, the Philistines on one side, Israel on the other finds out that for the last almost six weeks they have been getting up setting their battle in array like we're going to go to battle you know got to get battle ready the battle's going to happen today we're going to do it they set their battle in array but before anything go anywhere out steps this giant of a man this enormous war machine he steps out there and as he comes out and he mocks the children of Israel that he been doing day in and day out and here we have this, not only a warrior, a legendary warrior, known throughout the known world seemingly. He's huge, incredibly powerful. He's awesome. And here he's kind of climbing into the ring, choosing off somebody else. Come on out there. Is there, is there a man among you? Why do you set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? What are we here for? Come on, send a man. And he says, if, if, if he beats me, we'll be your servants. If I beat him, you'll be ours. I don't know at all, it's not suggested for sure, but it seems to be apparent that what they're really wanting to do is get a battle going. 
Not that they, all of a sudden one army would necessarily concede to the other, but at the time there, what's the, one of the things that they believe is probably going on here was uh, they're waiting to get a battle, somebody to kind of start, but get the battle going. But one of the things that's strategic for any battle, particularly back in those days, one of the most important strategies of warfare then, of all things, we don't think of it today at all, but it was gravity, just that simple. You, did, you wanted to be the army that's coming down the hill. You wanted to be fighting from the top down. You wanted the, the other army to be charging you, coming up the hill. I mean, there, gravity takes your stones and spears and bows and arrows and everything down, you know, with greater force. You come up against them, you know, you, you, don't even, you may outweigh them by the force of gravity, uh, you know, to be able to fight them. And it was very strategic. And so here, whether they're just trying to get the battle going, come on, let's somebody step out, let's get to this thing. We've got other stuff to do, and uh, but here they're going nowhere. And as this has gone on, you know, the day after day, mocking them, and every day it seems as if Goliath, when he comes out, somehow or another, probably Goliath gets a little bigger, a little bigger to them, as his voice is a little more powerful, a little more thunderous. He looks more awesome there to look at. In the meantime, Israel's biggest man, Saul, he's, he's fearful. He's afraid himself. He's in his tent. We don't know how tall Saul was, but they speculate he could have been up to seven feet. We're told in the scriptures, Saul himself, he stood head and shoulders above all the men of Israel. So he was a huge man himself. But no doubt Saul knew one of the reasons he won. So many all, he was a great warrior. And why, why does he won? Well, he was big. He outsized them. He's always fighting down on somebody. He, was, he started off with his size, put him in the plus there. He was already winning just by his size. Well, now all of a sudden, for the first time, no doubt in his life, there's somebody about two and a half feet taller than him. There's somebody way beyond him. Now he is looking up, and he realized the very thing that gave him strength and courage before has now given him fear. And now it's turned entirely against him. And so he fearfully is back there in his tent while they've got the armies in array. And here they're overcome by this man who is bigger than life. And then here David, this little stripling, shows up. This little kid, you know, soft-skinned as even Goliath describes him, shows up. And he hears there as the battle goes on, we, it, later on in the chapter here, you know, when, uh, it's, when David comes and he hears that there's a great reward for any man that will go out and take on this guy and kill him. That there's great reward that goes to his family and inheritance and uh, it gets his daughter and all these, these things. And David looks around and he says, are you kidding me? There's a reward for killing this uncircumcised Philistine. I'll fight him. And all of a sudden somebody, the word gets out, there's somebody that's, that, that says he'll fight. No man had ever even stood up. And here this kid has come along, shows up there, got some cheeses under his arm there, looking for his brother, wanting to go on. And all of a sudden, word goes out, hey, there's somebody willing to go out and sacrifice themselves, you know, to get this battle going, to throw himself right out there, you know, to, 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 to be the first to go, seemingly, in their thinking. But here, the thing that's happening here is that I, what's so important is I'm convinced every one of us as Christians, you can't grow. You can't mature. You can't become the man or the woman of God that he wants you to be without chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. Without coming face to face with Goliath, not only maybe once, but many times in your life. 
This is something, this is always in the pathway to spiritual maturity. God is going to put us here in this time where things that are bigger than us, legendary, destructive forces, just clear out everything in their way. Nothing can stand before, at least in our concept, in our belief. We don't stand a chance. It's over. It seems to be, you know, the most disastrous thing that can happen. And God loves these things. He always loves them. They just, he, he loves them for his children because he knows he's a part of this. This is his battle. This is what he's all about, proving himself in our life. And so he loves to put up something that from our relationship we look at as nothing, but for, as everything, it'll destroy us. We don't stand a chance, but God smiles. He says, come on, I'll be with you. I'm going to take you. And whether it's sending Moses before Pharaoh, you know, with nothing more than a rod in his hand. Or, you know, against the most powerful man in the world. Or is God just literally bringing him down and the children of Israel down to the Red Sea where it's just impossible. Now we're cornered and, he, and there are people, oh no, now we're dead. Weren't there enough graves there back in Egypt that you want to take us and have us die here? You know, this is terrible. You know, it's going, oh, this is hopeless. There, that was their Goliath. And there, you know, of course, God just now stretched the rod out over it. All of a sudden, this unbelievable power, unknown to man. When somebody looks in there and they'll take on what it is that God has put in front of them and they'll do it. But in all of our lives, there's all of these contrasts. There's all of these challenges that God gives. And it's interesting, on one hand, we love challenges. We love our, our culture, particularly, we love challenges, in a sense. And the greater the challenge, you know, the, the, the more excited we get about it. You know, and a lot of you, I mean, some of you are probably great baseball fans. You follow the Phillies, you know, no matter what. However they do, boy, I mean, you start off with them, you'd love to get season tickets, you want to follow them, winning and losing, where they're at, do they have a chance? And, you know, 150-some-odd games, as it goes down in the East and the West, in the National League and the American League, and then ultimately it comes down, as the fight has gone on all year down, after all these games that have been fought, down to the World Series, where hopefully we've got the two greatest teams, you know, on the planet today, down to fight it out, and people dream there of going there and, uh, and, and having box seats for the World Series. The big, the big challenge. The big fight. They've been fighting and fighting, 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 fighting. You know, and now it's come down to the greatest. We love the dream of 50-yard line at the Super Bowl. When all season long, the, the football teams all over the country have fought back and forth and back and forth. Little by little, one begins to emerge. They, and, and, and stronger than the others. You begin to see somebody that might make it, and then they get knocked off, and somebody else comes in and dreaming for it to come down. Have one day, I, I, I want to. You know, you may not don't watch much football, but the whole world wants to seem to watch the Super Bowl. It comes down the now the challenge of challenges in the football world. Or Wimbledon, when all the tennis players all year long have been playing all over the world, and now they've come down to the U.S. Open or Wimbledon, and they got center court seats or something. They want to be as close to it as they can. I read a story in the NBA Finals that some guy in the last game of the NBA Finals, for you know, somebody paid 130 some odd thousand dollars for courtside seats, so they could just sit right next to the players running up and down for the final game. We, we, we want to get as close to something as we possibly can when we're watching it. We can observe it. But none of us want to be in it. That's where it stops. No, 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 I just want to watch it. You know, we, I, it gets my, we, we want to be there Super Bowl. We're jumping up and down, yelling and screaming and telling the coach and the players, yeah, what are you 
telling them why didn't you what no don't do that you know and, and we're gonna people have heart attacks i suppose strokes the way that they get so wound up watching these things going back and forth until finally mighty casey strikes out and we love to be right next to it as long as all we are is a spectator and god says that's not you're not alive to be a spectator and create you to be a spectator and to watch somebody else. I, you know, we got all these in heaven that are now watching you. you, you they, they, now they've graduated now to see you. If, you know, what have you learned from them? How have you grown? What's happened in your heart? What's happened in your life? Don't you ever long for some personal victory that when you were absolutely set for defeat, and somehow or another, God would bring you through. And here there's something where Every one of us, we, we, you, you can't grow, as I said, without Goliath, without confronting, without you know, 1 Samuel 17 happening many times, even repeatedly within our life. And it could be all sorts of things that are going on, what your Goliath might be now. It could be all sorts of things. doesn't make any difference what it is, but something there that you can humanly feel hopeless about. could be your health. could be your finances. It could be the country could be the world. We look over here, you know, and we see what's going on right now with Russia, you know, uh, maybe, you know, about to do an invasion. We look over at North Korea. We look over at Iran, just about to, hopefully they think to perfect their nuclear arsenal to go bomb Israel. We look at what's going on with China, now over Taiwan. We look at what's Afghanistan. Or you look at the world economy, you look at our economy or the pandemic. All these things on one level, or maybe just a simple right down to your own children. The struggle there that the, the, your Goliath, it could be the world, it could be your own health, it could be your marriage, it could be your retirement, it could be all sorts of things, something there that it just saps everything out of you. You just want to go sit in your tent and just, how do I get out of this? How do, how do I just move on? How do I move on to the next chapter in my life? And here, you know, but, but, but there it stands. Day in, day out, mocks you. Just like Goliath. Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? There, isn't there a man in the crowd? Why do you set your battle in array? Why do you play church? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you pray? Why do you play Christian? If it isn't something there that just as thrilling of a thing as God wanted for Moses or he wanted for Elijah or he wanted for Ezekiel, he wants for you. He wants it for David. He wants it for all that something happens within our heart, within our life, that the thing that is the destructive force way beyond us, and there it is, and there's no way around it. I love the way Alan Redpath describes Goliath. His head, his shoulders, his chest, his legs were all clothed in brass. He was one scintillating mass of brass glittering in the sun. This Goliath, as he strutted up and down one side of the valley, must have been very fascinating to look at and very terrifying. And here every day as they looked at him and they saw him, somebody right in front of them just ready to chew you up as he had had every, every other person that had ever been before him all of his life. This unbelievable war machine, and he was that. When you look there, where it's interesting, we're actually given the weight of what this, you know, or not all of it, but a good portion of his brass, of his of his armor that he's wearing. And you look at here, the, 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 when you look at the weight of a shekel and the, to a pound, his, his five thousand shekels was his uh, his coat. 
uh, you know, uh, there and, and, and here, it weighed well over 125 pounds, just one part of his, of, of his armor. Then, that, then there's the brass between his shoulders. The head of his spear, the head of his spear weighed 14 pounds. When, and a spear's got to be balanced, which means it had to be counterbalanced on the other time. With minimum, you've got a minimum of a 35-pound 30, spear. And this guy, obviously, this guy wasn't just some huge freak of a nature that was just some overgrown mass of man. He was an athlete. He was powerful. He could run around. He could fight in this stuff. He could throw this humongous. You give me a 40-pound spear or something and say, kill somebody with it. <laughs> Come over here. A little closer, please. Would, would you... Would you lay down in front of me? <laughs> I'm supposed to kill you with this thing. I mean, you just think with this guy, you just look at him and realize, what chance is there? He's completely covered in this. And then you put all that on a nine-foot, nine-inch frame. Superhuman. I mean, we're talking a superhero or a supervillain. You know, unbelievable, unbelievably spectacular, but equally demoralizing. Anybody... You know, that got close enough to see him. It was the last thing they maybe saw in their life. It was Goliath. They're gone. Oh, what a, what a challenge. What a contrast. But God puts those in our life. Things that would sap our strength. Things, things that, that discourage us, that would bring us down, that would strike fear within us. Things that make us feel humanly hopeless. They're not because he wants us hopeless, but because he wants us to know who he is and what he wants to do and be within our lives personally. Not David's life. He's been there. He's done that. Not in Moses' life, not in Joshua's life, but in our life. He's no respecter of persons. And the same the thing that he sets up for them, he sets up for us. The same battle, the same struggle. And we're looking at it with an absolute certainty. We don't stand a chance. God took the children of Israel. He spent 12 spies into the land of, of Canaan that God had promised to them. Follow me, trust me, I'm going to give you the land flowing with milk and honey. Twelve of them go in, and Moses sends them in, spy out the land. So how should our battle, our strategy be to go in and take the promised land that God had for us? And here, you know, God had told them, oh, it's an awesome land. It's a land there, milk and honey. It'll, you'll have wells you didn't dig. They'll have olive ears and vineyards you didn't plant. You'll have cattle and flocks that you haven't raised. You'll have homes you didn't build. You know, you'll have utensils on the table. You just come and drive them out, and you will just move into a fully, you know, prepared model home. You'll have everything. You'll have, you know, wheat and grain and everything just grown. Just now it's yours. It's all prepared before you. I've just put the enemy out there to get it all ready for you so you didn't have to till the ground. You didn't have to dig the well. You, you just, it's my gift to you. Well, they go in and check it out. They're so excited. <laughs> and then, though, when they get out there, 10 of the 12 look there and they said, man, they're giants in the land. They're huge. You know, they come back and they said, you know, yes. Uh, you know, they're all, they come back with the grapes and they come back with the figs and they come back with all the harvest. They said, it's unbelievable in there. Yeah, there are houses we didn't build, wells we didn't rig, you know, all of your vineyards. Oh, man, it's the most wonderful thing. But there are giants in the land. And we were like grasshoppers before them. They'll destroy us. We'll never enjoy it. We're dead. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, yo, that's true. But we saw the Lord. He's bigger. And now the battle. That's what it is. Everybody. Godless, here it is. Here's the world there. That You're no match for it. God even told the children of Israel before they searched it out, before they went in. 
Deuteronomy 4, God, Moses tells him, he says, and because he loved thy fathers, he brought thee out of Egypt with his mighty power to drive out nations before thee, greater and mightier than thou art, to give thee their land for an inheritance as it is this day. It's already yours. I'm giving it to you. You're not going to fight for it. You're not going to earn it. You're not going to win it. It's not your strength. It's not your wisdom. It's none of that. It's because you love me. I give it to you. I've got it. I'll take care of it. I'll, the details. I'm just, they're, they're just the builders. They're just the construction firm to go build it out. Lay it all out. Get the house there. Dig the wells. Get the, you know, get the fields planted. Raise some animals there. And then just, we're just moving in. Just go on in. Put one foot in front of another. Trust me and it's yours. And Joshua and Caleb, that God will give it to us. Tenem said, no, we'll die. And they believed the ten. They believed ten. Tells them in Psalms as well as in Hebrews. It says, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation of the day of the temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me and proved me, saw my works for 40 years. God says, but wherefore I was grieved with that generation. They err in our heart. And so I let their carcasses die in the wilderness. They would never fight. They wouldn't put one foot in another. They wouldn't let me give them the land. I had it all prepared, all laid out. They said, no, we're not going in. We'll die. And there, they died in the wilderness, murmuring against God, murmuring against Moses. Miserable life. You know, you know it was, rather than knowing this is why we're alive. To come to that place of Lord. You've got to to lead me through these. This is who you are. This is what it's all about. And here David comes on into the scene where now God has given him his Goliath. And now when he comes in, you know, David, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, You know, David, I wonder if he even really saw Goliath. I wonder if he even saw him. He just saw an enemy that was there in God's land, mocking God's people. And as he's is, is looking at this, and he sees it there, I, I'm sure he saw him. Don't get me wrong with that. But but he saw the Lord. And you know, and, and that's always the issue. You know, the Bible says that faith is the evidence of things not seen. In other words, there that that faith it sees a, a world that the natural eye doesn't see. The natural eye sees Goliath. The natural eye sees, you know, Pharaoh. The natural eye sees the Red Sea. The natural eye sees all the things in nature that opposed you in the battles and the struggles of the hopelessness of the marriage or the kids or the health or whatever it is. The natural eye collects all that data, but the spiritual faith is the evidence of things unseen. It sees the, uh, it sees the real world, the eternal world. It sees God's world. The natural eye only sees this world and is defeated by it. And here you look at David there. He, he, he saw the enemy all right, but he saw the Lord. And he realized there's no match between the two. So David, some would think this kid, he's insane. No. David was the only sane person there. The rest of them were insane. God would look and say, don't you see me? Don't you see I set this up? Don't you see this is something I want this battle? More than anything, I'm just looking for somebody that sees me. I'm looking for somebody in their battle and then their Goliath and their their struggles. And here is something that from David's perspective, we're told in chapter 17 and verse 26, he saw it very clear. It says, Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David looks back and he's appalled. 
He says, what's going on here? And he says, you know, he says, you mean there's a reward for the guy that kills this man? And he says, who in the world is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He looked there, the mark of circumcision was the, was the mark of surrender to God, consecration of one's heart to God. And he looks at David, looks, he says, who is this unconsecrated, unsurrendered life that now stands before the armies of the living God and he actually thinks he could walk out of here alive? Who does he think he is? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And David, he got it. And there's something God wants us to be able to look at whatever the battles are in our life. Whatever they are to say, who is this? What is this thing that is out there? David wasn't some arrogant, foolish little upstart who was just mouthing off, you know, something there. No. He knew there was somebody on the, on the Lord's territory defying God himself. And oh, how easily, though, you know, when we look at this, that, you know, we can look there because, and, and just see it's the, the, the health, our marriage, our kids. See what's going on in the world. See what's going on in the political world. All these things that are out there, it's like Goliath, he's all over the place. He's everywhere. He's taking over the world in many ways. And, and, and it's almost everywhere you look, there he is. Everywhere you look. Sometimes with, under your own roof. Sometimes, you know, your kids, sometimes your health, sometimes your job, sometimes your finances, and you just sit there. Fear. Hopeless. Shaking. And here there's something, but this is, this is the lesson. This is the chapter for every child of God. And here he sees a man who's mocking God right out in broad daylight. And he thinks he'll survive. That's what David thinks. That's what he says. Absolute suicide. Total insanity. Yeah, everybody, you're right. But the problem isn't me. The problem is this guy over there. Because this isn't me against Goliath. This is Goliath against God. That's what it is. You know, and, and when you realize if you're God's child, and the secret there with David that was so incredibly important is that when you step back in the previous chapter, Saul, he had actually started off a good king and a faithful king in some ways, but an unproven king. But he was a warrior and he was a great warrior. He was even told to filled with the spirit. He was a wise man. But the pressures got on him. The enemy was around. People surrounded him and kind of had a huge influence on his life. Samuel had sent him down. God told him he was supposed to wipe out the Amalekites and all of them and just completely obliterate them. And instead, he went down and he, he disobeyed. Brought back the best of the fruit and or the animals and, and warriors and stuff. And he comes back at the king and things. And uh, Samuel comes and he says, well, did you do what you were told? And he says, oh, yes, I did. And he says, well, what's the bleeding of the sheep I hear? Oh, he says, the people wanted to save the good animals to, to worship God with and sacrifice him. And here, you know, Samuel said to obey is better than sacrifice. You're done. You see, he was talented, he was strong, he was powerful. But even for a person that can get a lot, some people, they're big and they're strong and they're powerful and they're smart, and they can work their way through life. They're survivors. 
Some people like Saul, they just have a, an edge on the rest of the world, and they grow up, and they can prove themselves and, you know, and do well year in and year out, sometimes decade and decade out, decade out. But one day, sooner or later, a bigger comes. Some force hits them that's bigger than anything they've ever had. Though they were always victorious before, now they're broken down to size, and Saul, he's done. Lord tells Samuel, I'm going to have you anoint another. Samuel is sent down to Jesse's house, a Bethlehemite. And he gets down there to anoint one of his sons. And here, you know, when he, when he shows up there, the town is afraid. Oh, no, Samuel, what's he coming to our little town for? And he says, you know, are you, are you coming peaceably? He says, yes, I'm just come to sacrifice. He was afraid Saul would know he was going down there to anoint somebody, and, and Saul would kill Samuel. God, Samuel, God tells Samuel, just go down there. I'm going to show you one of his sons that you're going to anoint that's going to become king in Saul's stead. Well, he gets down there and he prepares the house of Jesse and his son's there for something very special the next day, not knowing what it is for sure. Sanctifies them, sets them apart, and they're realizing this is the biggest thing that's ever happened in the history of that family. And yet there the next day when he, the sons are brought before him, Eli of the biggest, oldest, strongest, and there Samuel says, oh, surely the Lord's anointed is before him, and he's about to go and do it. God taps him on the shoulder and says, what do you think you're doing? I told you I'd point him out. This isn't the one. And, and, and then he makes this powerful statement. Man looks at the outward countenance. God looks at the heart. Man looks and his fears are his strength. He's always measuring himself like Jesus told the Pharisees. You measure yourselves by one another. But God measures everybody by the heart. And there Samuel gets rebuked. He's he about to make a huge mistake in the history of Israel. And then from the eldest on down, he comes down. All the boys are there. And he says, well... It's just all of them because the Lord, and he says, the Lord hadn't picked out any of these. He says, there any more? And he says, well, there remaineth yet the youngest. Also in Hebrew means least. Even David's father didn't think much of him. Samuel didn't think much of him. His older brothers didn't even think much of him. Eli, when David comes down to the battle here and shows up in the thing, and they hear that David is there, oh, go fight the guy. His brother comes out and he says, what are you doing here? You know, who'd you leave your sheep with that you're supposed to be taking care of? You, you, you've been a naughty kid. Now you're sticking your neck out beyond your stuff. Now just run along home. David said, now what have I done? His brother didn't think much of him. And then ultimately, when he, if, he isn't even brought, when he is brought before Saul, and Saul hears there's somebody that'll fight, then they bring him in here, and they bring in, here's this kid. Saul says, oh, man. He saw it. I can just see him patting him on the forehead there and say, oh, sonny. That's so. That's that's awesome that you want to go fight and you want to do this. More power to you, kid. But you got to this. You're you're a kid. This guy has been a warrior since he was a kid. David looked at him and he says, "Wait a minute. God's on my life. I've killed the lion. I've killed the bear. They came after the sheep. I took after them. Even lions or bears didn't think much of him. His brothers didn't think much of him. His father didn't think much of him. Saul didn't think much of him. You know, and even Goliath mocks him later on. Nobody thought much of him. But God looked and he had a heart that trusted God. He was a man after God's own heart. And while everybody else in the world passed him up and said, this kid is destined for nothing. But because his heart belonged to God. David had learned to measure himself by the heart that was surrendered to God. And because that, that was the secret that now it wasn't David against Goliath. It was the heart of God against the heart of an uncircumcised heathen 
who opposed him. And when somebody there gets that, God, what you want is my heart. That's what you're after. I think it's my marriage. I think it's the kids. I think it's my health. I think it's the finances. I think, you know, whatever it is, the country, my job, my neighbors that play the music all the time, the people that fight around, all these other endless lists of Goliaths. But God always leaves them, no. Nothing to do with them. They're just simply the test for your heart. They'll look bigger than you. They'll send you home fearful if you don't see me. But if you see me, you'll sit back and you'll rest. And here there's something David finds himself when he there, Saul somehow or another, he looks at him, sees this within his heart, within his eyes, sees there this kid. God's on him. Somehow or another he realizes somehow it is the heart. And he says, all right, young man, you're in. He puts his armor on him. He said, here, I'll give you, here, this gigantic, big, huge man, this little stripling. And David couldn't move around in it. David says, I can't do that. No, I just need my sling and that'll be good enough for me. Just that, just my sling. I don't need any, any other equipment there. I don't need any of that because, you know, David knew the battle is the Lord's. He told Goliath, he says, you come to me with a sword and a spear. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts whom thou hast defied. You don't stand a chance, buddy. You made a big mistake. You shouldn't have got out of bed today. You really shouldn't have. And, you know, with this, David is so excited. He knew of God before you. Whom be against you? He had this. That's what the heart. God wants to put within the heart realize, I'm with you. Your heart, with God filling it, it's a majority. Everything else is a minority. That's, that's, that's the whole reason we live. We exist. It's there to have God take over this heart. And there, when, when that is beginning to happen, and, 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 and we surrender there, there'll never be anybody bigger than that. There'll never be any force. There'll never be any opposition that is greater than a human heart filled with God. And here, David, you know, when, 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 we, when we, the challenge, whatever it is, when it's met with the heart, when it's met with, with surrender, victory is assured. The children of Israel, God told them, there, I want you to march around Jericho. There, the big enemy, there, march below the walls, right below them, not utter a word, just look at the Ark of the Covenant, follow the priests, and I want you to be quiet. Don't even open your mouth, just focus. Man, what a battle that had to be inside. Here they are right below their enemy. Up on the mountain, they could, this huge walls, they could drop anything on them. Shoot arrows, spears, they could just pill, you know, destroy them, so humanly speaking. Worst battle strategy in the world. He said, you just march around them. Be quiet. Put your eyes on the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of my presence with thee. There will I commune with thee and thee with me. He says, you look at me and march around the enemy. I'll give you the victory. And here you'll do it for seven days. Day after day after day. Imagine the first day they almost had strokes, heart attacks. He probably all came back with stress tests and high blood pressure, sweating, you know, sweat off 20 pounds each, you know, or something. But they, they look and realize, we made it. We're alive. They didn't kill us. And Joshua sounds great. Let's do it tomorrow. No, no, no. We're good. We're good. We did. No, no, you're not good yet. Going to do it again and again and again and again. You'll march around until you can rest your eyes on the ark in the midst of the biggest distraction you've ever dreamed of. 
You can focus on the Lord Jesus. You don't, the, 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 you're Goliath, you're not looking at him. You're putting him in perspective. And here it says, after seven days, we're going to stop and you're going to, we're going to blow a trumpet and then you'll let, it, let out a great shout because by them you'll realize I've taken over your heart and victory's assured. Ralph Waldo Emerson, he once said, what a new face courage puts on everything. When somebody finds himself, Lord, you got my heart. I'm in. I'm in. Teddy Roosevelt once said, far better to share or to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to take rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy much nor suffer much because they live in the gray twilight that knows not victory or defeat. There's a lot of people that said, I'm just, I'm just staying back. I'm just going to hang on. I'm just going to I'm a survivor. That's what I am. I'm a survivor. I'm going to survive this. Like I've survived and survived and survived my whole life. My whole stinking life. As a matter of fact, he says, wouldn't you like it to be a victorious life? Stop surviving. Have something there that happens there. And here, David, he, you just look at this kid and, 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 and you watch him there as he comes down and, he, and, and that, okay, he's going to do it. We got a guy and there's the whole army on one side of Israel. Saul has sent him out. And this kid comes out. This kid comes out. And he's going to go fight him. And everybody, what? Who's that kid? Well, he's Eliab's little, 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 little brother. This eighth down the line. And he, why not Eliab? Why not Jeff? Why not somebody else? Why not Saul? I don't know. God knew. David comes down and we're told one of the most in and strategic parts of the, of, of this to me from God's strategy is anybody this is not a trick question what did David kill Goliath with what somebody just it's not a trick it, what stone put a sling uh, a stone in a sling and he killed him and you know it's interesting he, he, he had five stones we're told and we're not sure why you know, he had five. We do know in another place in the Bible, it tells us Saul had four sons. I mean, Goliath had four sons. Now, whether they were all there with him, we were not given that. But we're told that then David, he runs up after Goliath with this sling. Now, you would think you want to be, get your feet planted. You want to get down. You want to get in the crouch. You want to take steady aim. He's running. And here, though, and here's the next question. Again, not a trick question. Where did David get the stones? Where? The brook. Now, where's the brook? Brooks tend to be down at the low point. <laughs> you don't hear a lot of brooks running across the top of a mountain range. No, this is at the bottom. This is in between these two armies. In other words, David didn't even have the equipment to fight with until his heart was fully engaged in trust and faith. We so often, Lord, I, I, I believe, I, I know you, just give me, you know, give me the stones. No, no, no. Give me the words. I, you know, you, you, I, give me the, I don't know what to say to her. I don't know what to say to her. I don't know how to handle it. I don't know what to, you know, I don't, you know, give me, give me the equipment. No, no. No, you, you give me your heart. You get yourself engaged. You join, the, you, you join up with me. You commit. You commit. 
And then when you're in, I'll take over. We so often, we, we, you know, we want it all taken care of. And now we just go pick it up. God says, no, that's not, that's not how you want to win. You know, it's like, oh, I'll go fight the, I'll go in the, <laughs> fight the world, you know, heavyweight champion of the world. I'll step up there, but God, just make it, before I get into the ring, have him fall over dead, okay? <laughs> no, that wouldn't be any fun. <laughs> I want to put you in the ring. I want, I want you to swing at <laughs> He might swing at me first, you know. You know I'm old. I'm, I'm, I'm in bad shape. The only good parts of me are steel that have been already replaced, and they're falling. They're getting rusty. Please, you know, or something. But here, God says, no. It's going to be your voice, your song, your joy, your rest, your worship, your surrender. When you get engaged, when that rest, that sufficiency in me is found, as you fully commit, whatever it is, then is when you find it. You know, but so many Christians, they remind me, you know, there's some silly things you read. I can't remember where I read this and I got it, but it's hilarious to me. And it's true, I'm told. At least it said it was true. And it was on the Internet. You know it's true. So anyway... (laughs) But a story of, of literally, I don't know, <laughs> training fleas in the south. Now, I don't know if they don't have a lot to do in the south. I'm not sure about that. But at any rate, they train fleas. And they, they get a jar. And, get, and a flea evidently can jump a tremendous height. You put a flea in a jar, it just jumps right out. But so they get a flea, they put it in the jar, and then they screw the top on it. And the flea will just jump. Ping, ping, ping. It'll just keep jumping and jumping and ping its head against the top of that jar, the tin on it. Ping, ping. And it'll just go if, sometimes for hours. And finally, after a little while, it's just it's jumping up and it's stopping just a fraction of an inch before the top. And it just jumps, jumps, goes back down. They then take the lid off and the flea will never jump out. It's now held back. And it never believes it can go again. That's so many people. Sometimes a God looks at us and says, don't you want to jump in? Don't you want to? I want you to engage. I want your heart. I want us there. And we'll do some wonderful, wonderful things, but uh, I want you to step into it first, and then the rest will go. And I just thought of this now. I hope it's okay, but we're going to pray. I mean, not that we're going to pray. I thought of that, but... Maybe, maybe you, I, I, do you have a Goliath? I don't, again, it's none of my business what it is. But it is something you realize, Lord, I needed this. This is me. This, you're talking to me tonight. I've been held back. I'm, I, I haven't engaged. And if all you want is my heart afresh, and then you want me to walk around it quietly, prayerfully, resting, Finding your victory and your, and your sufficiency before the battle is run. So I can rest and I have the joy. You know, I, then what happens to me when somebody knows this, it, it, when God wins the battle and how he wins it, that's his business. His business is winning the battle of the heart. And when I give him that, and I realize sometimes you win it soon, sometimes it's later, sometimes whatever, but you realize, God, it was me the Goliath in me, learning to trust in you. And if you've got a Goliath tonight and you realize, you know, God, I want to trust you. I'm going to 
You give me the stone to put my sling, but I'm engaged. And if that's you, then I'd like you to just stand. That, it's not a big deal. It's not like you're running up the hill against uh, an enemy, but in your heart it may be taking all of you just to stand up, to say, okay, I know my Goliath. I know what you're talking to me about. I want victory. Jesus, I trust you. And I'm going to just give you a minute to think about it. I'm not, just, there's just something going on within you, within your heart. You know, this is bigger than me. It's defeated me. I've been fearfully sitting in my tent while the enemy mocks me, saps me of my joy, my rest, my victory. I'm defeated. I want that victory, Jesus. I want to walk out. I want to drive home with joy overflowing. And whatever changes on the outside and whenever and whyever and however that is, that's your business. My business is my heart given to you. I'll just give you another minute. If you want to stand. Anybody else? Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Lord, thank you for David. Thank you, Lord, this stripling there. He just came along and he just, he didn't, he didn't, who knows? All I know, something just emerged in him and he realizes this is what I'm alive for. That's why you created me. You put this Goliath in, in, not in front of everybody else, you put him in front of me. This is personal. And Lord, I just pray that whatever it is, the battle that's going on, Lord, that, that weakens us, that gets our heart filled with anxiety, fear, and pressure. Jesus, we just look to you and ask, Lord, that your presence would overrule all of this. That, Lord, that we would choose, not just right now, but going home to, to sing a song to worship you. Keep our eyes on you, whether it's going to work tomorrow or going to the doctor this week or going wherever the news seems to be bad or Goliath is, that we would look and say, Lord, I've already won. You're on the throne. There's nothing too big for you. Nothing is impossible with you. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would just afresh touch each person with a fresh sense of your presence. And, Lord, to realize that you would just guide that stone David there, when he just let it fly, Lord, even if he was off, only you could guide that thing right between the man's eyes and penetrate his skull and bring him to defeat. And Lord, I can't help but wonder if the rest of the army that night when they sat around after they had all joined in and had such a great victory after seeing David, I wonder how many of them thought, I could have done that. I could have done that. I didn't realize what it was. I could have done that. And of course you would smile and said, of course you could have. But you didn't. You didn't. Do you want to do it now? Lord, I pray that we would be ones that we want to do it now and tomorrow morning when we get up, we'd say, all right, Lord, you've got my heart. You're on the throne. Now let's go to it. Help me keep my eyes on you, worshiping you. Whatever you bring along, I'm ready for it. Lord, we ask your blessing on every one of us in Jesus' name. Amen.